Welcome to Goodwill Hunters. Here, we'll explore the ultimate question, how to use profits for purpose. It's been said business must help solve the global challenges we face. In this podcast, we explore how. How can the private and not-for-profits work better together? What truly constitutes aid and progress? And how can we transform international development? Here, we talk with the thought leaders, the game changers, the intellectuals, and the campaigners. I'm your host, Rachel Mason-Nunn, and this is Goodwill Hunters. Hello, and welcome to episode eight of Goodwill Hunters. Today on the show, we have Andrea D. Almeida. Andrea is the executive director of B-Lab, the not-for-profit organization which supports the community of B Corps in Australia. Prior to this, Andrea worked for Social Ventures Australia, where she was the director, director rather, of venture philanthropy. In this role, Andrea was responsible for incubating and testing innovative solutions to complex social problems. Andrea holds a Bachelor of Public Policy and Management and a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Melbourne. And in addition, Andrea is a Vincent Fairfax Fellow. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so let's start simple. I, I imagine a lot of our listeners are already quite familiar with, with B Corps and B Lab, but to start at the start, what is a B Corporation? It's a great question because uh, a lot of people uh, haven't actually heard about what B Corp is, and that's part of the part of our kind of mission at the moment. Um, at its essence, a B Corp is a, a leader in the field in business who has decided to independently verify their social and environmental performance, their transparency and accountability. They are, as I've just mentioned, independently certified, and they are really using their business business as a force for good, either to solve a particular social or environmental problem in the world, or to ensure they're operating at the highest level of transparency and ethically across multiple domains in their business. B Corps um, have chosen to do this because they fundamentally believe that a new form of capitalism is required, and that capitalism is really, um, can be an inclusive capitalism for everybody body that respects not only profit, but purpose and the well-being of people in the planet. That's interesting. And I, I want to get back to this idea of a new form of capitalism later, because that sounds really exciting. Um, but before we get into that, what is the role of B-Lab? So B-Lab is the non-profit behind B Corp the B Corp certification movement. And B Lab was founded about 10 years ago in the States with the three founders who were entrepreneurs who sold their business um, and they had embedded a lot of social purpose in their business, understood their supply chains. They actually owned a, um, a footwear and apparel company, sporting apparel company called And One, which I think at its height uh, was rivaling Nike. Um, so I hear. If you're a basketball person, I, I only um, had Jordans back then, so I didn't really know much about basketball. But they um, they actually had a really interesting journey to starting B-Lab, which was that 
they got their business to this point many, many, many years ago, the three of them, uh, and had built in so much social good. They understood their supply chains. They had a very familial approach. They they were doing yoga and basketball, you know, when it was kind of unheard of, um, it, which sort of seems to be the norm nowadays. But they also really understood that their, their the impact of their business was really, really large. And their suppliers, their supply chain um, – were things that they could affect using their business. So how much their workers were paid, whether they were paid a living wage, uh, how they were treating their employees, the impact of their business on their on the environment. And at some point they decided to sell out and they had two offers on the table, uh, as the story goes, and they basically had no option other than to take the highest uh, financial offer, which makes sense. Um, the second option was a lower financial offer, but did actually was going to agree to keep all of this additional benefit in the company. But there was no room for them to be able to accept that offer under the current law that that um, they operate under in the states. And so, as the story goes, they actually sold the company for a significant, um, you know, I think it was around three hundred million that it was valued at. But um, within six weeks, all that additional good was stripped out of the company. So they'd spent years building this amazing company and there was nothing to be able to protect its mission, purpose um, and impact, positive impact that it was having. And so that basically uh, gave way to starting the non-profit B-Lab, which really is solving for the fundamental issue of allowing entrepreneurs and businesses to embed mission and purpose in their business, as well as passing some legislation that um, is trying to create a new type of corporation that embeds purpose, mission and protects directors uh, when they are taking on any additional capital or is it, if there's any change in control to ensure that they can consider um not just shareholders, but all stakeholders in their decisions. So, really, B-Lab is the non-profit behind this global movement of people using business as a force for good. And we are, you know, I think our ultimate aim is creating a more shared and durable prosperity. There are B-Labs all around the world. And in Australia and New Zealand, we are very much about designing solutions for the new economy. Mm, It's so important. How long has the B Corp certification been in Australia and how have Australian businesses responded to it over the years? So B Lab has actually only been around for a couple of years, but there were a founding group of uh, businesses who started the movement maybe five years ago, one of which was Small Giants. Uh, Small Giants has been fundamental to bringing this entire movement to life and they have a series of um, businesses uh, that sit under their sort of parent company. They, I, I think, you know, over the last couple of years, I'll take a step back, to, to become a B Corp, you have to take an online assessment and that online assessment covers five areas, um, your governance, your workers, your community, the environment, and your actual business model. And there's 200 questions. You have to get a minimum of 80 80 out of those 200 um, points and, you know, lots of different tracks depending on what type of business you are, the geography, the size, the turnover. Uh, We've had 
just over 2,000 companies take the assessment across Australia and New Zealand, and we've uh, certified 240 um, as of last week. Uh, that's um, we're the fastest growing per capita outside the US, and I really feel like there's a huge uptake and surge in interest, particularly given the current backdrop of the Royal Commission and declining levels of trust in business. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, even large businesses are looking at certification as a way to differentiate themselves from good marketing and actually have an independent trust mark. Um, so I think it's really taking off. Um, we have a lot of work to do, though. We're we're still sort of known by those um, that are in the circles of what good business is and what kind of sustainable business is, and we are absolutely determined to ensure that we move beyond just the kind of um, you know the those that who already already know us. Mm. There's a great quote on your website. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's yep. something like um, fair trade certification is to coffee what B Corp certification is to business. Yeah. And I really like that. And it really helped me to understand mm. better what it is. But um, I've, I've worked a little bit with fair trade certification in the past and I'm, I'm aware mm -hmm. of how difficult it is mm. for um, small scale producers to mm. to get that certification. But in contrast, it seems as though B Corp certification is relatively straightforward to attain if you're already doing all the right things. Is, is that right? Or how difficult is the certification process? Well, I mean, there are, you know, several steps to becoming certified. And the first is to take the, the B impact assessment, which is free and it's online and it covers those five areas. Um, you have to meet the 80 point bar and then you go into the actual certification process. And B Lab in Australia and New Zealand doesn't do the certification. It's independently done by our global body. Um, it's tough. It, you know, it, 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 it's not meant to be a low bar certification. We, this is about creating a group of leaders across the world who are going to lift entire sectors and industries to, to really articulate what best practice looks like in practice. And it's not a reporting regime. It's actually what you are doing in your business. So, you need to be able to verify that and I mean, our, our makeup of that 240 um, cohort is quite reflective, I think, of, you know, the makeup of business in Australia where 97% are SMEs. So the vast majority of our B Corps are really small, creating lots of extraordinary impact. Um, it's tough because, you, you know, for a lot of small business owners, they don't have the time to write down exactly what they're doing. And when it comes to the verification process, um, it's it's really important to be able to say, well, we're not, we don't just say we're doing this. We've actually got proof that we're doing it. Um, it in many ways, for a lot of all, for a lot of companies that have taken the tool, um, that have taken the assessment using the tool they've realised that there are a whole lot of areas that they need to improve their performance in. And they've used it as an operational and management tool, which is very much what it is. There are lots and lots of resources and guidelines uh, to be able to help you to improve your performance in a particular area or minimise your, you know, unintended consequences and, and negative impact in other areas. Um, 
So we really encourage everybody to just go online, jump on the website, have a go, see where you are, and then think about, you know, if the, the average company, as I understand, that takes the assessment gets about 50 uh, yeah, and that's not a that's not necessarily a company that's doing um, something great with their business apart from making profit. It's just a company that wants to measure their impact. So, um, you know, it it is hard, but it needs to be hard because we really want to lift the bar of performance across a number of metrics in business. So, um, but having said that, it's a free tool. You know, we, 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 we are very encouraging of every business measuring and managing their performance. And to do that, you start with the tool and not everybody will become a B Corp and that's okay. That is so surprising that the, that the average mark is 50. I, I, was, mm-hmm. I was sitting here thinking, gosh, 80 must be easy, but I was totally mistaken. And, <laughs> and as you've said, it, of course, it has to be hard. I mean, it wouldn't, of course, it needs to be a, a high bar to reach. With it, with the average mark being fifty, what do you think that says about business culture as it is in Australia? Well, I'm am c- certainly not the the, uh, the consumer expert about all business across Australia, but I'll have a go. I would say that the vast majority of people running businesses are running small businesses, and they are very very focused on making sure that they meet payroll, that their cash flow is. Um, working and, uh, you know, that they've got uh, they've got kind of basic business practices um, at the forefront of, of what they're doing. So, the idea that you would think about, am I being sustainable? Um, how can I reduce my environmental footprint beyond recycling? Am I looking after my workers? Uh, what about my products that are manufactured overseas? Is, in many instances, particularly for small businesses, seen to be a luxury. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, um, a topic that we talk about quite a lot on this show is how environmentalism and social impact are often viewed as a luxury that you do once you've reached a certain standard. Um, it seems as though slowly this culture is changing where we recognise that the sooner we do those things, the quicker we get where we're, where we're trying to go and they're actually very mm. well aligned with, um, with, with profits. Once a business gets their B Corp certification, mm-hmm. is there then an expectation that they will change the way that they operate and that they will start reaching an even higher bar or are they just expected to maintain that good status quo that they'd already reached? Definitely the former. To you have to recertify every three years, and you have to continue to improve um, your performance in order to verify. So, um, you know, verification is uh, less difficult than um, certifying, but you absolutely have to be improving your performance. It's um, you can't be resting on your laurels, and it can be quite difficult for those companies that for example, aren't necessarily solving an environmental or social um, problem. Yeah, I can imagine. And so the role of B-Lab is to support these businesses as they improve? Up until now, we've been very much about building the community to begin with and then 
helping them to connect with each other and actually we're in the midst of redefining and um, creating a new strategy for B-Lab for the next sort of five years, which will very much be focused on looking at uh, how we build supply, so how we actually look at different ways to see the idea of responsible business all the way from primary school through to university and then look at the ways in which we can increase demand. So we'll be looking at ways in which we can either run masterclasses or very much um, bespoke opportunities for companies to be able to say, I want to increase the diversity of my workforce. I want to increase the um, number of environmental initiatives. I actually, I want to turn my business much more into a um, uh, an environment where I can take on a whole lot of interns from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. You know, whatever it is, that, uh, we definitely want to be in the game of helping them do that. Uh, we're not there yet, but it's definitely on the agenda. So on that point, what are the main three or the core initiatives of B-Lab at the moment? At the moment, uh, it's very much about building the community. So we've got a head of community building um, who spends her time working with companies to bring them into the pipeline, as we call it, and that's about creating interest and business, de- you know, or, you know, the general business development opportunities about why you should become a B Corp. Um, she also runs masterclasses to help companies try and improve their score and is working towards trying to find influential companies as well, which will help with the kind of marketing comms aspect of who are the iconic brands coming through from a business to, you know, B2C, business to consumer um, perspective that can help us lift um the, the the awareness of, of certification. So we, we're building a community and once the community's there, we're actually managing that community and that's very much about creating and enabling pathways for these B Corps to interact with each other, to go away and actually work out what it is they want to do as a community. So we're very much about enabling them to do what it is they want to do and come together and meet together and uh, we've just held a series of what we've called working bees. There is no shortage of bee puns in our office. Um, and they they have come together and decided uh, using a place-based model what it is in their region that they're going to go away and do. And some are looking at mental health in the workforce. Some are looking at growing the brand. So it's really dependent on what they've decided they're going to do. And our community manager is at the heart of sort of trying to create pathways for them to come together that are meaningful and curate uh, events and, um, you know, opportunities for them to really build the brand, build the movement in ways that are meaningful to them. And then the third part of what we're doing is trying to introduce a piece of legislation um, which basically is creating a new type of company called the benefit company. And, that goes back to, uh, to one of the earlier comments I made, which is about ensuring that there is a type of company that can create um, the flexibility and the opportunity for directors to consider not just profit, 
not just shareholders and move from the 20th century idea of, you know, shareholder maximization of profit at all costs to thinking about all stakeholders. So the benefit company is um, a piece of legislation that we currently have sitting with government being considered. It's a change to the Corporations Act. It's voluntary. It's opt-in. It provides a mission lock in the company's constitution. So that basically means that you can embed your purpose and mission, which is beyond the profit, traditional profit metrics, into your company's constitution. And it provides clarity and certainty for directors to pursue their mission and it can help attract impact investors. So we are very much trying to advocate for a legal change to the Corporations Act because we believe that uh, company directors really need that protection to ensure that they don't uh, that they're currently not um, in conflict when making long-term decisions for particularly for shareholders. That sounds so exciting. I, I want to understand that a little bit better. So firstly, you mentioned that um, becoming a benefit company would help to attract impact investors. So can you explain mm-hmm. what an impact investor is and why they would be attracted to that model? Sure. An impact investor is an investor that chooses to invest not just for financial returns, but also for social and environmental returns, and will often forego some percentage of their financial return to ensure that there is a social and environmental return. And they will provide capital, uh, usually through debt or equity as instruments, and um, you are required as a company to meet your financial targets as well as your social and environmental targets in order to pay back that investor. Uh, Impact investing is uh, set to grow to around 23 or 32, 23 or 32 trillion dollars, I think, by 2035. I think it's 32 trillion. So, the market's there, but we don't necessarily have a huge supply of um, companies that will meet the performance requirements, not just from a financial performance perspective, but from an impact and a um, social and environmental performance perspective. And so, the way that the benefit company can allow for that is that it's actually structured very much by creating mission and purpose in uh, locked into the company's constitution. And the other part that I haven't mentioned is that benefit companies will be required to report annually on their performance across a range of metrics. Uh, to, to get a little bit technical, uh, if and when that legislation gets passed, any company can um, incorporate as a benefit company, but they do not necessarily have to become uh, B Corp certified. However, if you're an existing B Corp, you will have to become a benefit company once the legislation is passed. So it goes one way, but not the other. And the reason for that is because we want to be able to create the opportunity for business owners to incorporate in a certain way and become a benefit company and use whatever reporting mechanism it is that they uh, feel fits their business. Wow. That's that's really exciting. Do you have a timeline <laughs> on when, when you're thinking the legislation might be passed? Oh, we wish if I had a crystal. <laughs> um, these things are, are, yeah, are never straightforward. I'm sure you can uh, appreciate advocacy um, for a new piece of legislation under <laughs> the Corporations Act is not necessarily the highest thing on everybody's agenda at the moment in government, but it's certainly being considered and uh, both the department and um, 
yeah, a, a couple of the senior members of Cabinet are looking into it. So it's the furthest we've got it. We're really excited. This partic particular piece of legislation has been passed in, I think, the majority of individual states in the US. It's been passed in Italy. Um, it's been passed in a couple of countries in South America. So it's definitely taking off. We are super excited and really advocating quite um, substantially for this change. Yeah. Oh, it's so important. On that note, I mean, you've mentioned that this is already happening around the world and you also mentioned that there are B-Labs throughout the world. What sort of relationship do you have with the other B-Labs? Do you work together at all? Yeah, absolutely. So we consider ourselves a global movement and twice a year all of our staff get together um, at a global partner gathering where we talk about and try to understand what's going on in each region and how the kind of, you know, global strategy, local execution is playing out. So, for example, we have a B-Lab in East Africa, in Kenya. We've got a B-Lab in the UK. We've got a B-Lab Europe. We've got lots of B-Labs in South America. We're market building in Asia. Um and we are very much all connected using technology. So I have a late call tonight at 10 o'clock with my colleagues from around the world to talk about um, a couple of a couple of um, areas in relation to marketing and comms and who's doing what and branding. And so we are very connected. We're working with each other. And I think the nature of it is also lends itself to the fact that there's a lot of multinational companies that are now knocking on our door. And once they want to certify in one area of the world, they need to start certifying across lots of their other um, entities which sit in our country. So we're very much a global um, network of partners. We learn from each other. We share with each other. I can guarantee any uh, pain points that I've experienced, somebody who's, who <laughs> is about to experience in two years, depending on where they are, and any wins that I've experienced, I can share with um, my partners. I can also guarantee that they'll probably be coming down the road if they're in a similar size market. Changing tack a little bit now, <laughs> thinking very broadly, this is a hard question, but you've got so much experience in this space, so I'm sure that you'll have something wonderful to say. Why does business need to be a force for good globally? Fundamentally, I joined B-Lab because I don't feel personally that the normal institutions that are there trying to solve social and environmental issues are doing a particularly stellar job at this point in time. I've worked in government. I've worked in the private sector. I've, you know, now working for two non you know, worked for SVA that was a non-profit and working for this non-profit. And for me, there are two reasons. The first is that business has actually caused a lot of the social and environmental issues in the world. And they've done that because the mantra of profit at all costs uh, has been upheld as the sort of, you know, the, the utopian vision of capitalism. And we're now actually seeing the consequences of that. I, I think it's only natural then that business needs to step up to the plate and operate within the ecological boundaries that we have 
and really ensure that it's looking after its workers, its suppliers and the communities that it's operating in. And and the term social licence to operate has been sort of revived quite recently, particularly in an Australian context, which a lot of the extractive industries have been using for a while now, but it's extending beyond that. So I think business definitely has to be a force for good because otherwise we won't have a planet in the near future. And it it is as simple as that. Um, and if it's not for us, it's for the generations to come that we need to ensure that we're operating, you know, at, as businesses, as organisations, as entities, ethically and transparently and, and um, responsibly as we can. And I think the other thing about business that's super exciting is that it, it is its own entity and it's much more agile than government and non-profit organisations. So that means that it, if it see something in its local community or the area that it that it resides in, it can actually work with that community to solve that issue much more quickly and without many of the um, red tape scenarios that we hear about than government and uh, non-profits. I think that agility is such an important point that you've raised. You mentioned the the ecological footprint concept. And I think there is a lot of this rhetoric out there that businesses try to associate themselves with, like their ecological footprint, their um, their social license to operate, all these sorts of things. And it's easy to get caught up in that rhetoric and not understand how that actually translates to mm-hmm. the way you're operating. And what I've always really mm-hmm. liked about B Corps is it's it is very technical. Like it is, it is a clear, this is how mm. you should be operating. And we kind of mm. move away from this rhetoric and into, into action. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, th- I think we, that's sort of fundamentally why we exist because we are very much about moving away from good marketing and good spin in a CSR report to verify, independently verified performance across a range of these metrics that you've just spoken about. And also the requirement for these businesses to continue to get better, that, you know, just having a recycling policy or, you know, it isn't enough anymore. We have reached a stage, you know, in the world's evolution where we need to be coming up with serious solutions. I mean, if you think about fast fashion and the fact that it is one of the largest contributors to a lot of the you know, global issues we've got with the environment, it's no longer okay to say, well, we're just going to recycle. And now you're seeing a lot of these large uh, multinational fast fashion firms um, outsourcing innovation around, you know, the circular economy and, and you know, reuse and recycle. And, and so I think we're definitely being pushed in the right direction. For me, though, it goes back to it's not just what you tell us you're doing, it's you need to be showing us that you're actually doing it. And you've mentioned the circular economy there, which is a great segue back into inclusive capitalism. Mm. So can you explain what is meant by inclusive capitalism and in your view, how we can achieve it? That's such a big question. I'm sure I'm going to try. I would say, and I'm not an economist and it's quite funny because I wrote this um, a very short article in Dumbo Feather magazine in the last edition. I don't know if you know Dumbo Feather, which was about um, my father being an economics teacher and really wanting me to study economics. And of course, me being the migrant kid 
rebelling in every single way I could, which was generally academically and saying, there's no way I'd ever study economics. It's like the most boring thing in the world. Who would, who would want to work in an, you know, in the new economy? And then I studied a degree that had to do economics, um, which was just like the irony was so not lost on him, but I had to sort of eat humble pie for the first two years of my degree. And during that time, um, and I write about this in the article, it just became so apparent to me that the economy and economics was this outward entity that I, I could not affect in any way, shape or form. It, it operated outside of my sphere. It it was run by, you know, sort of, who knows, but, but a whole lot of faces behind boardrooms that I would never have any kind of ability to influence and change. And then 15 years into my, or sort of 10 years into my career, I started joining organisations where... I could see that all of the things that I was taught about the economy and economics and the principle, you know, the sort of principles of scarcity and demand and supply, we made up. Like we made up the economy. It, it, it sort of became quite apparent. It took me a little bit of time to get there, maybe longer than some others. That if we made the economy, then we can absolutely change it. And I, I worked with a lot of people who were excluded traditionally excluded from uh, the mainstream economy through employment. That's what I spent a long time doing when I was at Social Ventures Australia. And it, uh, what what I think I learned the most is that it's the everyday transactions that can actually make large-scale change. And an inclusive economy for me is about shifting away from the paradigm of scarcity uh, shifting away from the paradigm that there will always be winners and there will always be losers and reframing economics to be about a much more holistic vision of inclusivity of everybody, including the planet, and particularly those who are traditionally marginalised by the current capitalist framework that we have. So I do not believe that in a nation as rich as Australia – we should have such high levels of hopelessness, long-term unemployment, um, and and social disadvantage, and 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 those levels aren't going down. So to me, there has to be a new way, and the new way is an inclusive economy, an economy where businesses and government and everybody is looking after the people they employ. Everybody understands the impact that they are having on the planet as an organisation and as an individual, and that we actually operate within the confines of the planet that we have. We're not here to pillage and take until there's nothing left, that we reframe the way in which we are doing business and running our organisations and institutions to ensure that, well, there, there is a planet that continues to be in existence because we haven't taken everything from it. But also, we've included everybody on the journey. I could talk about this for hours, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> I'd love to hear you talk about this for hours. <laughs> uh, you, you answered that really well. And I would actually recommend that anyone listening checks out the latest issue of Dumbo Feather because I know that the the sub 
heading of that issue was creating the new economy. Yeah, it was. Which is um, so much about what you've just spoken about and it's it's so important. And so funny to hear you speak about economics. I've been grappling with this lately. Six years ago when I started studying, I thought to myself, I'm not going to study economics. I just want to help people. I'm not going to study economics. And now six years <laughs> on, I'm going, oh my gosh, I wish I studied economics. It's the one thing I really need now. So that'll be my next master's. <laughs> well, well, I, I look... I'd have to say the textbooks haven't changed. You know, I would read I would read the Donut Economy. You know, there are some amazing textbooks out there rather than going to study it that were not around when I had to sit through lectures and listen listen to, you know, theories from really old blokes that you know, had heard from other old blokes that had heard from other old blokes about what this economy should be. I, I think I would encourage you not to study a master's and just to read some of these amazing textbooks that are out there, like the donut economy. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I agree with you actually. And, and, and working, I mean, so much of this we learn by doing. Absolutely. So important. All right. We haven't got much longer left. So there's a couple of questions I want to yes. get through before we finish. Yes. Right. So we've spoken a bit about the potential of, of business already and why business needs to be a force for good. But in the international development sector specifically, what potential does business have to play a much more meaningful role? It's such a great question. And I have spent a little bit of time thinking about this because my understanding about the you know international development sector is that it's very much been a game for large government institutions and non-profits and contracting out to those non-profits. And that's been the way that it's worked. Uh, more recently, some private sector providers have been allowed to come in and deliver services that non-profits haven't been able to um, deliver. And that's where I see the change happening. We have an amazing B Corp called Aspen Medical who's been doing work with the United Nations for quite a while now and uh, most recently I think was working in Syria in relation to immunisation and hospitals. And they, they came back to us with a really interesting dilemma which was that the particular government institution they were working with said to them, you're doing extraordinary work your company is amazing, but you're not a non-profit. Could you start up a non-profit arm of your company? And it became apparent to us that this idea that you have to be a non-profit in this particular sector in order to be able to be credible, I guess, and and uh, ensure that you are not making a profit at the expense of delivering development services, uh, needed to be fundamentally reassessed. Because actually, I think we've hit a point with international development, and I won't go too much into this, but if you think about the current scandals in Haiti with particular non-profits and the kind of arm's length approach and, and the huge number of staff and workforce that many of these non-profits have, there's actually no equivalent certification for non-profits when it comes to operating across all of these areas in their business. 
there's no B Corp certification for a nonprofit. And so just because they are a nonprofit doesn't necessarily mean they're treating their workers particularly well or they're not. I'm not saying that this is across the board or that they're minimising their environmental footprint. And, and a lot of them have to operate as almost corporate entities. So it's kind of a long way, a long way of me saying there is a lot of room for high quality uh, mission-led, for-purpose, for-profit businesses to be playing in the space rather than any private sector business and any no- or, or any non-profit who doesn't necessarily have the level of verified performance that, say, B Corps do. I totally agree with you. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, having worked a little bit in international development over the past few years, the sentiment that I came away from that with is that we've really underestimated the role of business. And we've mm. overestimated the role that we in the not-for-profit sector can play yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. And that's an awesome note to end on. Thank you so much for, for all the work you're doing and for your leadership in this sector. I'm, I'm so inspired by you and by B-Lab and I can't wait to see what unfolds in the coming years. Oh, thank you, Rachel. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you this morning. 